We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, he lost the football. Scoops it back up. Checks and throws. Intercepted. Giants have it with Julian Love. Love weaving through. Tackled inside the 15. What a turn of events. Handoff up top. Touchdown. Saquon Barkley. Airborne for the score. Giants go in front. Dime package on second and 10. Jackson loses the ball. Pop free. The ball still rolling around. The Giants jump on it. Thibodeau with the strip. Big blue with a big play. Yeah, we've got to take responsibility for that. We've got to find a way to do it. And it comes to coaches and players. I mean, we've got to come up with calls. We've got to coach our guys better in those situations. You know, be in the right spot, play the right leverage, uh, you know, block the play the correct way, whatever it might be. Uh, those are the things we've got to do a better job of. And players got to take responsibility as well. It's just us. And I told them it's us. It's us together. All of us together. Uh, it's six games into the season. Uh, you know, we're in good position, big picture-wise. Let's get to where we can be and where we need to be, where I think we all can see we should be. Uh, it's our responsibility to do it, though, and we got to go get the job done. You know, when it comes to these 2022 Baltimore Ravens through six weeks of football, something that has plagued them through half of the games they've played so far is the inability to finish, to close out games, particularly in the fourth quarter. And that was certainly the case in this week six matchup that we're about to break down in this instant reaction episode. Welcome into the Ravens Vault podcast. I'm Bobby Trossett, joined as always by my partner and co-host, Sarah Ellison. The Ravens fall to the Giants in week six on the road at MetLife Stadium up there in the Meadowlands. 24 to 20 was the final. And now Baltimore is looking at a 500, what feels like subpar record for what they could be through six weeks of football, three and three as the New York Giants on the other side of the coin, five and one playing great football for Brian Dable and that new staff. Of course, Wink Martindale being one of the key factors as well as the defensive coordinator. But with that, let's just dive right in, partner. Your biggest takeaway from, I know what you just tweeted out a minute ago, this has been a recurring theme, the inability to close out teams. Yeah, my big takeaway, and I, I hate to say it because, you know, if it happened once, it could be a fluke, happened twice. It's like, uh, I guess anybody can make a mistake twice, but three times it becomes a trend. The Ravens don't know how to play in the fourth quarter. I mean, they've just given us too many examples of it. They've, they've blown double-digit leads 
three times. The proof is there. And I, I definitely hate to jump to conclusions, but I don't think I'm jumping here. They've choked. They've choked three times. They choked again today. It, again, you can rank, you know, who's at most fault. Uh, but I don't think anybody escapes pointing the finger at themselves. You have no other conclusion. And quite frankly, Bobby, the Ravens could learn something from this Giants team. This Giants team has no business being five and one. No business. They've had so much turnover. It was meant to be, it was meant to be a rebuilding offseason for them. They had to let go of some big salary cap, big playmakers, and even the ones that they did keep, so many of them are on injured reserve. But what has been a theme for the Giants, despite not being as talented, there's no way this Giants team is more talented than the Ravens. It's just not. But what they do is they don't make big mistakes and they have figured out how to win close games. They just sit there and wait in the weeds. They don't make big mistakes and they wait for you to shoot yourself in the foot. And the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, Greg Roman, John Harbaugh, the defense, you name it. They obliged. They obliged. This Ravens team is so talented and as they keep getting back other guys, you can see the talent, the way they move the ball, the way they move the ball. The defense was so much better today, although they are not without fault. They're so talented, but but they can't close out. And then today, they were sloppy. They were sloppy all day long. The statistic that's floating around the internet and circulating right now as we tape this is the fact that the Ravens as a team have trailed for a total of 120 seconds combined in their three losses through six weeks of football. It's like we're going to hear a lot in the coming days, as we already have in previous weeks, that this team, oh, they, they should be 5-0. and They now should be 6-0. and And the bottom line is they aren't. And sure, they could be, but they aren't. And a lot of that is due to self-inflicted Mental errors, self-inflicted penalties, false starts, lack of communication, and ultimately a lack of execution when it matters most. And that's what played out today in the fourth quarter. The inability to finish is one thing, but what actually leads to that inability to finish is, is what's plaguing this team. And you tweeted it out, right? Week two against the Dolphins, coughing up a 21-point lead to start with what they had at the start of the fourth quarter. Two weeks later, fast forward to the Bills, a 17-point lead was held in the first half. That evaporated. And then, of course, today, 10 points, uh, a 10-point margin was just over 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They they have not proven that they consistent that they can consistently close out games. And partner, I, I think last week I, I mentioned, man, that's a DNA-defining win for the Ravens on Sunday night football against the Bengals. They found a way. Well, what they showed today and what they've shown in their losses is that that's not the DNA of a championship winning organization, much less a postseason organization. They're not going to be there <laughs> yeah. when it's all said and done. Well, maybe they will be in this division because of how tough and rugged it is. Right. But like they're not going to be there, be there in late January if they can't win games and be on their P's and Q's in crunch time. Yeah. And um, I was thinking somewhere in the fourth quarter that I was like, you know what, maybe this will be like last week where, you know, Lamar Jackson didn't have his best game. And then you're kind of going through this game and the Ravens are just like shooting themselves in the foot left and right with these penalties, which we'll get into. And I thought to myself, it's okay. It's okay to win ugly because you need these moments 
to, I don't know, just like going through the fire, you know, you go through the fire and you come out stronger on the other end, kind of sanctifies you, it purifies you, makes you kind of go through things and makes you better. And, you know, I just kept thinking, you know, they're holding this lead despite all these penalties, they're moving the ball despite these penalties. And then, and then it, and then it went from sloppy to meltdown in that fourth quarter. And Bobby, if it's okay with you, I kind of want to start. And again, this game is not all on Lamar Jackson, but his play in the final couple minutes here, you can't get around it. You, We just can't get around it. We can't sweep it under the rug and, and pretend that it didn't happen. So we'll certainly get to the other parts of this. But I, I wanted to kind of read some tweets out there that's been said about Lamar Jackson and kind of get our own reactions to it. So, but let's break down what what, what happened here. So uh, the Ravens get the ball. They have a four-point lead. They get the ball with about six minutes left. It's like, just drain the clock and do what you did in the past. You've done in the past. And they did it again. I believe it was last week against the Bengals. Just run and do what you got to do to just drain the clock. But it would be nice if you could also score. And the Ravens are third and one. There's a QB sneak. Lamar converts. Oh, wait, no. Here comes what I believe was the 12th penalty of the game. The 12th penalty of not just the game, 12th penalty for the Ravens in the game, right? Uh, so with uh, an illegal formation, I don't know who's at fault with the le- illegal formation. Do you, Bobby? Yeah. So the CBS broadcast, and we got to go back and watch this too. That's why we call this an instant reaction. But the CBS broadcast obviously noted that, or the officials noted that it was Ronnie Stanley, number 79. But Charles Davis thought that it was a misalignment by Kenyon Drake, the running back in the backfield. That's what did it. So Ronnie was not at fault, according to Charles. So Charles says it's not on Ronnie, but instead on Drake. Okay. So nonetheless, that erases the first down. They have to replay the down. Third down again. Uh, Lamar Jackson says that Tyler Linderbaum snapped the ball early. So he misses the snap. He runs after it. And Lamar's trying to make a play. He does what Lamar always does. Sometimes that's amazing. And and sometimes it's not. And Lamar made an ill-advised throw to Patrick Ricard. It gets picked off and puts the Giants right there in ter- territory to win, or, or at least to score. And they did. They did. You put you put the defense in a tough position. Uh, almost had that interception by Marcus Peters. That gets called back for a for a uh, defensive pass interference there. So then. You know, they score. Lamar comes out there again. And we know what Wink Martindale is going to do. Wink Martindale doesn't leave us surprising. He's going to blitz. You know, Lamar has the ball not not supremely protected. It's bouncing around a little bit. Doesn't get the ball out quick. You know, strip sack. Game's over. Game is over. It's hard to say that a big portion of this loss is not on Lamar Jackson. That doesn't erase everything else he's done. That doesn't erase his 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 play as an MVP, but but you got to call it how how it is. Sarah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I don't know how that fourth quarter interception is even thrown, right? Like ten times out of ten, that's got to be airmailed out of bounds. And instead, and I know this is what makes him so special in a lot of scenarios that we've seen over the last four plus years, right? Like making something out of nothing. That's what makes Lamar so special and spectacular. But there, it was just. Too much, too much of a force 
off the back foot. It, it just wasn't there. And, you know, it was a really tough snap. And I think that right there is a microcosm of what happened today, Sarah. Like there, there was no sync, no rhythm. They just weren't in sync at all from a timing standpoint. If you think about the Mark Andrews touchdown in the fourth quarter, according to the CBS broadcast crew, who I thought did a great job at capturing the game clock up against that snap, that play shouldn't have gotten off, Sarah. The, the game clock was at zero. Well, I've always, uh, you know, I've, I've read things on that in the past because there was also that problem. Remember when Justin Tucker hit the history-making field goal from 60-whatever yards out? What the refs have to go through is they have to look and see that it, the the play clock has hit zero, and then after they do that, they have to look to see if the ball is snapped. So there is a little bit of a delay built in for refs for everyone. So I need to go back and look at how much, <laughs> how long it was on zero. So that that's been the thing for forever. That's what refs always say. I have to first see it here, and then I have to see it there, so it's not instantaneous. And if that's the way it is for everyone, then fine. But 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 yes, it sure looks like when you look, if you take a screen grab of it, when the clock is zero, the ball isn't snapped. So it does appear like the Ravens got away with something there. And regardless, like back to your original point, like and maybe where I was going is there was just no rhythm consistently from an offensive standpoint, whether that was false starts, whether that was, you know, communication at the line of scrimmage pre-snap. And Hey, I think you got to give some credit to Wink Martindale and what he was doing. We'll get to him in just a bit, but moral of the story from where you were going with this, Lamar deserves blame and and we're not going to sugarcoat that. Yeah. Yeah. And like we said, it's not all of it, but it certainly is some. So let me read a couple of tweets and, and I want to kind of get your reaction. I'll react to, I think the biggest one is from Ryan Clark. Uh, he's the former Steeler. He's on ESPN. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Ryan Clark has been one of the biggest uh, cheerleaders and fans of Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, he has just been nonstop praising and talking about how he deserves a fully guaranteed contract. So after Lamar Jackson threw that interception, which, by the way, again, you're up by, let's quickly go down this road. Had he just thrown it away, we're looking at, there's two minutes and 50 seconds left when that interception happens. You're up by three points. I think I said four earlier. You're up by three. Had you thrown that away, then you punt it and pin them back. And the way, now granted, the defense had just given up a long touchdown run, but you're putting your defense in a way better position to make a stop. The defense outside of that fourth quarter, you know, touchdown drive, they'd been, they'd been bottling up the Giants. You're putting them in a much better position by throwing that away and kicking it off and giving your defense a chance. But when you're giving the ball to them at the 13 with Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, that's, that's asking a lot of this defense who hasn't been stellar thus far. They've had their moments, but haven't been stellar. So anyway, back to Ryan Clark here, Ryan Clark tweets, period, exclamation point, exclamation point. If Lamar Jackson wants 230 million guaranteed, he can't do that. He can't convince them to pay it. His mom can't convince them to pay it. And I can't talk them into it. Can't freaking happen. Okay, so here's my question to you, Bobby. Is it fair 
to start bringing up the contract in a knee-jerk reaction when Lamar has a bad game like this? This is the unfortunate reality of the fact that he remains unsigned and obviously he and his camp have chosen to, you know, disengage during the season. Like that's just how it is. He's immersed in the season and we, and we know that. So to me, whether it's fair or unfair, this is what's going to happen in today's media frenzy world. And so I would lean towards, yeah, it, it is fair uh, at the same time, you know, Lamar wasn't the only one to blame today. And we both know that there's a number of different people that you can look at when it comes to pointing blame towards, but I think that's fair. I think that's more than fair. How about you? Well, okay. So I mentioned this in, um, a, a morning Ravens vault that we did. I can't remember which day it was, but we were using the sound from Colin Cowherd, right? And Colin Cowherd was saying anybody in the league can win. Any quarterback in the league can win ugly except for Lamar Jackson. And then I had added my two cents to that. And I said, I agreed with what Colin Cowherd said. And I put on top of that, that it's like, you can't conflate two groups of people. There's a group that keep having gotcha criticism of Lamar Jackson, but just because they want to prove that they were right, that he can't make it as a quarterback in this league, or there's the good faith, the good faith criticism. And I said, part of that good faith is not like constantly tying it to something bigger, like his contract. So to me, if you, to me, it's about, you have to stay consistent. If you are a person that when Lamar is playing well, like he did to start the season, MVP level, we all know it was happening. And then you're tweeting out memes or videos that say today's price wasn't yesterday's price. If you were doing that, then you should be okay with somebody like Ryan Clark saying you, you're not going to convince him that you can't get 230 million if you play like that. So to me, you have to be consistent. If you're cool with today's price isn't yesterday's price because he's at MVP level, then you have to be okay for this knee-jerk reaction. And on top of it, I do believe that Ryan Clark is having good faith criticism based off the fact that he's been a big cheerleader of Lamar Jackson. So I'm okay with Ryan Clark doing it because I don't think this is the gotcha type of criticism. But for me personally, for me personally, I... No, like if Lamar Jackson turns it around, just like he was in the beginning, if Lamar Jackson is able to turn it around and goes on a big tear, this is week six, we got plenty of games left, then come on, we're all going to be saying yesterday's price wasn't yesterday's price again. So to me, it's it's important for me to, to keep myself honest, not to have these knee-jerk reactions. So, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't his best game. Do I not think he de- deserves, a, you know, this big guaranteed contract? Listen, Lamar Jackson's going to get it one way or the other, so it doesn't it doesn't matter. But is, is he proving to Steve Bashotti in this moment that he deserves it? No, but the season's not over, and and it wasn't over in the first three weeks when he was playing it at MVP level. But I do think that Ryan Clark gets to say it because I think it's good faith on his part, even though I disagree with it in making that judgment right now in this moment. Yeah, I think that's a fair breakdown by you. And it's definitely fair and in good faith by RC, who's literally been in his corner, like you alluded to a minute ago from the jump. Like this guy has been so outspoken, both on social media and on his national platform, obviously, being that he's he's at ESPN. Sarah, at the same time, I think we can probably both agree that the deep ball game of Lamar Jackson over the course of the couple last couple of weeks 
has almost been non-existent. There's a lack of polish right that right now. There's some inaccuracy when it comes to overthrowing the football. And for what it comes down to is a lot of that is on Lamar. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. But I think a bigger picture item is without Rashad Bateman from a passing attack standpoint, Baltimore's looking pretty one-dimensional with 89 being the true only target out there. And I don't want to no disrespect to Devin Duvernay. He's really emerged in year three and is, has shown that he's capable of being a legitimate wide receiver too. But is he capable of being that week in and week out? And I think today showed you that aside from Kenyon Drake's you know great day on the ground, which we'll get to over 100 yards rushing, uh, and aside from Mark Andrews, this team from a passing attack standpoint is looking pretty one-dimensional. I'm not sure that's hyperbole. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I think, okay, so Duvernay finished with five targets, one reception for 14 yards. Uh, some of them that, I mean, were just like super difficult pa- catches. If he was going to get them, they would have been uh, super in, in like high, high difficulty catches. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that Duvernay and and Rashad Bateman play off of each other well. I'd be interested to see, I mean, I'm not interested enough to actually see it happen, but would we be saying the same thing? Would if Rashad Bateman were out there, does he does he also get help by Duvernay actually being um, a threat? I mean, if it's one or the other, I think Bateman's the bigger threat. I mean, he can just get himself open. He can he gets these nasty releases, all of that. And so when you have to worry about both Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews, then yeah, that opens things up more for for Devin Duvernay. But another person I do want to talk about here, and and I do think that especially in the red zone, given how I don't know, Lamar Jackson wasn't super accurate. And then again, outside of of Mark Andrews, nothing was going on. But you mentioned Kenyon Drake. This guy was going off. And part of the reason why he was going off is there were massive, massive holes created in the defensive line by the offensive line. And I thought there were definitely some missed opportunities in the red zone. You know, again, if... I hate to say I, I hate to say this because I don't like to have I, I don't want to contradict myself. I like it when when Greg Roman puts the ball in the hands of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is your biggest playmaker. He's your biggest playmaker. He's your MVP. And I don't think it's right to one minute advocate that he deserves this massive contract and the next minute say, why don't you run the ball? You know what I mean? So so you know, it's hard to say I don't think it should have been in Lamar's hands. But that being said, if Lamar and the passing game isn't quite right, and you know this by the second half, why not in the red zone give Kenyon Drake a shot at it? You know what I mean? Instead of, you know, three straight incompletions, which happened once, if not twice. So so that, that, there's where I feel like, you know, Greg Roman deserves a little, a little bit of blame where – you know, you see that your quarterback, it's not his best day, maybe in the red zone. Again, I don't, it just always seems like one thing or the other. It's like all these passes or all these runs that's happened a few times where it's like he runs three times right from the, the goal line and you keep getting stuffed. And so you keep having these, these incompletions in the red zone. So try to switch it up. So, so that's where I felt like Greg Roman could have helped his offense out a bit. 
Yeah. And that makes me think of just like the whole blame game that folks are going to want to play this week, right? Like who can we point the finger to? Well, it's not just the players on the field. Yeah. In that case, maybe Greg could have had a little bit more variety there, but when it comes to the penalties, when it comes to the lack of execution in key scenarios, to me, that mostly falls on players today based on, I mean, false starts. Come on. Morgan Moses, before he went down, come on, man, you used to play at MetLife Stadium. I I don't really know what that was all about. So anyway, you had one more tweet that you wanted to dive into that I think fits fits well with what we're talking about here. Yeah, so I went with one national guy with Ryan Clark, and now we'll go with a more local guy, Matt Weiss. Uh, who does some some local coverage of the team. He he tweets, yes, there were stupid penalties. Yes, there were drop passes, but this loss is on above anybody else. Lamar Jackson, he didn't play well today. The turnovers were just really the bad icing on a really bad cake. That's true. So I think that we've addressed the bad icing in Lamar Jackson. I do think if I had you know put it in order of who's to blame, I probably would put Lamar first with those turnovers. That being said, yeah, there were some dumb penalties. The, the Giants were doing, like, a, on their defensive sl- line, some pre-snap shifting, and uh, apparently that's what was throwing off the offensive line and Patrick Ricard. But as John Harbaugh said, like, you'd be fooling if you're, yourself if you thought that they never practiced that before. You know, he was like, we practice this all the time. And don't you think that it, Wink Martindale probably did that from time to time in practice? I'm sure. I'm sure of it. And so it's like... Again, yeah, I guess you keep coaching him on it and you keep practicing it, but when it comes time, you got to do it. And yeah, there were some drop passes. I'm trying to remember all of them, but but it's just like there were so many times where it's just like right there, and maybe there was a tipped ball here or there. But but what do you think of Matt Weiss's thing? Do you agree with him? I tend to lean towards what Matt was getting at on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, this is your franchise quarterback, right? You expect him to play a clean, efficient. And, uh, you know, big time fourth quarter when the game's on the line. And unfortunately for Lamar, uncharacteristically so, he was unable to do that today. And he was unable to do that consistently in the red zone. But I want to make it clear, like this whole the the penalty stuff and the the lack of execution and rhythm and all that stuff, I, I lean heavily towards placing blame on the players in that in those scenarios, Sarah, like. Harbaugh said it himself and he wasn't even, he wasn't just trying to cover his, you know what, like that's a daily thing you do. That's a root. That's a practice routine kind of thing that you should know back of your hand. Like whether it was Ricard, whether it was Moses, whether it was just the overall timing (laughs) pre-snap and and the things that we just talked about a couple minutes ago, like that to me, that's on the players. That's a lack of execution. That's a lack of discipline. I agree. I mean, I wonder how much of it is because, you know, sometimes you do have teams. There are some coaches that you look at and you're just like, that is a disciplined team. And I know that Harbaugh talks discipline all the time. Uh, I do agree that a big chunk of it, obviously, obviously a big chunk of it is the players because they're the ones out executing. But, you know, that's a good conversation I'd like to look into. I'd like to talk to a, a former player and be like, how much of this is like definitely all on players and how much of it is like a a coach can just set up an environment that is just disciplined because when you have so many of it, you know, and again, most of it was the pre-step penalties. It wasn't as much, I guess the the ones that are, I think more on the coach are like ones where people lose their cool. I didn't really see anybody lose their cool. Maybe Odafe Owe, but I really don't know what happened on that play because the CBS sports crew did not really give a replay on it. 
Uh, so I look forward to seeing some tape on that to see what led to Odafe Owe's flag for unsportsmanlike conduct when he was raising Brent, Ben Bredesen, a former Raven, his giant's helmet in the air. Like, like that to me was like, that's not disciplined. Now, if you flinch, if you're flinching, it's not like you're losing your cool. So maybe, maybe I would put it more on coaches if it was like a bunch of players not losing, like losing their cool and not. But these flinches, I, I just maybe it is more on the players. I mean, especially if you're practicing it all the time. So, um, ugh, whatever. I mean, whatever. It's it doesn't matter though. It's a it's sloppy play. The Ravens are now known through six week of weeks of football as being a fourth quarter meltdown team, and now they're adding sloppiness to it. And I'll just say one other thing because I do want to I do want to transition into a couple of positives in this game. Um, there are a couple, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit. Did you catch Marlon Humphrey's post-game press conference? I know that you were doing a, a yeah. quick post-game yeah. show on YouTube. I don't know if you saw it. Marlon, uh, what's kind of the mindset for this team after it seems like it's kind of been a recurring theme about not being able to finish off those games? Uh, we'll watch the film, and then we'll, uh, we'll figure it all out uh, Tuesday when we get in the building. Marlon, what's the message amongst the players? Just you know, not talking about the specifics of the game, but just being in this position and, and not being able to finish it. Yeah, well, the game just got finished, so I haven't really talked to anybody uh, since the game's finished. Marlon, do you feel like you guys are beating yourselves at this point? Uh, we haven't really watched the film, so we'll watch the film, and then we'll figure out uh, what we're doing wrong. Thanks. I-, I thought it was ridiculous. You know, face the music, Marlon. I-, I think that's a bunch of nonsense, the way that he handled himself, to be honest with you. Like... I know that some things that were being asked specifically, you needed to go back and watch the game in order to give a compelling answer. But for him to spend, I think you tweeted it out, 42 total seconds up there. Maybe he didn't want to be up there and PR was like, hey, we really need somebody to represent the defense up there. Like, fine, so be it. And Marlon himself, knowing that he wants to be in this business one day, something he has not shied away from whatsoever. You'd think he'd understand that reporters have a job to do and they have questions to ask. And he was asked fair questions and I didn't think he gave fair answers. And I don't think he gave a fair effort up there from what's expected in your contract as a, as an NFL player might be over-exaggerating. I don't mean to sound spiteful uh, or aggressive, but I just expect more from, from Marlon Humphrey up there. Face the music. Yeah, and that's essentially what Lamar Jackson did, right? Like, he sat up there and he was clearly not happy, you know, but he didn't sit up there and say, I haven't watched the tape yet. I haven't watched the tape yet. I haven't watched the tape yet. It was like, here's what I saw. Here's what happened on the snap. Just kind of matter of fact stuff. What happened on the snap? It was early. What did you see on the throw to Patrick Ricard? He's like, well, I was on the run. I thought I saw him there open, but... I think it was love number two. I think he said number 20 came over and he made a play on the ball. Just kept it very matter of fact. And then, you know, talked about how, you know, the Ravens are shooting themselves in the foot and all that kind of stuff. And so Lamar didn't Jackson didn't want to get up there. John Harbaugh didn't want to get up there. And I understand that Marlon Humphrey didn't want to get up there. And so look, if, if this was like, if this was Marlon trying to tone down his anger, then, and didn't want to say something bad then okay i get it but you know he's he's one of the leaders on the defense and you know he sets a tone he sets an energy he always goes out to practice he's got big energy and and he talks about all the time and like you said he does want to be in this business so you know 
I don't know. I would like to see that too. I would like to see that too, where it's like, just face the music. And, and I don't know, I don't know if that's indicative to why they're not finishing. If they let themselves get down, you know, to the point that they just don't want to talk to anybody or whatever. It's just like, uh, you know, you just think back to those, you know, Ray Lewis and, and Ed Reed days and they're hall of famers. So I'm not going to compare their play to them, but it was like, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what position they were put in. It didn't matter. We're playing defense and we've got this. And I don't care if it's first and one on the goal line. We're not giving up. You know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah. So, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more leadership there on, on, on Marland also. I think, I think we're on the same page there. And then one last thing is, is I just, and I t- talked about this a little bit with, with Greg Roman. I just want to point out the red zone issues and going into this game. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but they, the, the Ravens in yards outpaced the giants, 426 yards to 238, almost double. And they only put 20 points on the board, only put 20 boards on the board. That, that is, it's definitely unacceptable. Cause even if you had that meltdown at the end, if you scored touchdowns instead of field goals, by the way, you know this is a bad day because Justin Tucker missed a field goal. <laughs> so everything yeah. in the world was off today. But yeah, now they have to go back and look at red zone red zone issues too. So I don't know. Are there any other negative points we want to bring up before we get to some of the positives? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, that was pretty jarring, Sarah. Justin doinking it, right? Like that's a rare doink from Justin Tucker who missed an extra point earlier this season as well. Both like really, really bizarre, like double take at the screen kind of moments. But yeah, I think I think we've covered, we've, we've been pretty thorough with the negatives. I know one positive yeah. right off the bat, we've already mentioned him once is sort of the, you know, welcome to Baltimore game for Kenyon Drake, who just showed great burst. You mentioned it earlier on. I thought the, the the blocking schemes implemented there for those those running plays by Greg Roman, where either Zeitler or Powers, I'm thinking about two chunk plays specifically, were pulling, opened up mm-hmm. great lanes for for Drake. And his vision was there. His his lateral quickness was there. I was really impressed with him. And you now one thing we haven't talked about too, not to go back to the negatives, is the fact that we didn't see Dobbins really at all in the second half, maybe a little bit in the third quarter. I have to check that when we go back and watch the game. Um, But Harbaugh mentioned after the game that his surgically repaired knee tightened up 
Whether or not that was turf-related remains to be seen. Maybe it will never be known. But Dobbins wasn't available in the second half because of the pitch count. It was because of the knee. Right, right. And we're we're going to have to, like, watch all of his likes today on Twitter, <laughs> right? Because last week he oh, was yeah. liking <laughs> tweets that were basically, you know, saying that he should have been in the fourth quarter. And then when he spoke to reporters in the locker room Thursday, I believe, he was like, you guys know I didn't play in the fourth quarter, right? Like, he didn't seem very happy. But yep. in this case, yeah, first of all, it's not great news that his knee was tightening up. Uh, hopefully it was just because of the turf. That is what Harbaugh said, that it was like, it, it just wasn't responding well to the turf. I've already looked. There are no likes at, from after the game by Dobbins <laughs> at this point. It's 6-12 <laughs> on Sunday night. So, um, but but even if... And maybe this is maybe this is why he ran this way is because his knee was was tightening up. By the end of this the second half, J.K. Dobbins recorded a negative twenty four rush yards over expectation in that first half, according to Next Gen stats. So they're able to like put together obviously stats that say based off the situation where you're at, what's going on, we expect you to get this many yards in this situation with this play. And, um, yeah, he was negative 24 rush yards. So he was not running great. So maybe it was because of the knee and the turf. In fact, I hope that's what it is so that it becomes a one-time thing. Meanwhile, Kenyon Drake is running like out of his mind, just out of his mind. He, he broke the, the century rushing mark and it only took him seven attempts to do it. There was like one point in the game, I think three three plays in, he was like averaging 21 yards per carry. He finished with um, Kenyon Drake 11.9 yards per carry. He actually beat Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's been the lead rusher all these weeks in a row. He beat him in average yards 11.9 uh, and got 119 total by the end. Lamar had seven uh, for 77 with an 11-yard average. So... We'll have to check in on on Dobbins to see how he's feeling, and hopefully this doesn't like hurt him long term. But the running game was so good, Bobby. The Ravens averaged eight point eight yards per carry, but they averaged five point seven yards per pass. That tells you how good they were in the run today and how bad they were in the air. That tells the whole story right there. And that eight point eight yards per carry certainly kind of backs up the thought that we put out there earlier on in this episode with the fact that, Hey, why didn't Greg go there more in the red zone in a couple of different exactly. scenarios that we have already highlighted. But again, that's, that's something that Greg Roman has to wear. Lamar has to wear what, what he put on and put there out on tape when it mattered most in crunch time. So, you know, it, it goes both ways. There's no doubt about that, but you know, sticking with the positive theme here, no surprise, another week and another big time, physical performance from Mark Andrews. 89 finishes, uh, leading the charge for the Ravens receiving core, seven receptions, 106 yards, a touchdown that came in the fourth quarter. He was targeted 11 times with 15.1 yards per catch. The guy was dominant in the middle. He is just special. I don't know how he holds on to the football when getting smacked by these DBs and linebackers right at the point of the catch. But somehow he does, and he's a warrior out there. He did have a couple uncharacteristic, I don't want to say a couple drops. There was at least one egregious one. The other one was tipped, like you said. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe it was in the end zone or close to it or definitely yep. in the red zone. Um, 
Uh, but again, just another big time performance from one of the game's top tight ends. But it just goes back, and I hate to do a but here, but it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. In the passing attack without Rashad Bateman, it's it's one dimensional. It just is. Yeah. No. It it is because I, you just have to have more weapons. You just have to have more. And look, the other tight ends did did step up. I mean, uh, Oliver had some nasty catches. One of them, both two of them were both of them were. There were two that were challenged. One was was overturned. The other one was not. But Oliver, you know, you started to get a little glimpse of why he's being active over. Nick Boyle, because he's, you know, that he does have hands and he has also picked it up in the uh, in the blocking area. Isaiah likely had two catches, both 15 yards uh, for 30 total yards. So it was nice to see some of these uh, tight ends stepping up, but it's it's still just not enough. I mean, we're going to be on Rashad Bateman watch for sure this week but to go to the other side of the oh, ball yeah. for some hey, more can i mention one ahead. thing too unlikely yeah yeah but before we yeah before we dive into the other side of the ball i do want to mention that likely uh, specifically there in the second half i thought should have had a defensive pass interference call yes they're right along i believe it was right on the tip of the end zone there and it clearly charles davis and the cbs crew were saying oh no that they were just that was going for the football wait a second here the football hadn't even arrived yet at Likely's <laughs> exactly. hands. I thought that was a blatant yeah. miss. <laughs> he, yeah, to me, he looked like he was tackled before the ball ever got there, for sure, for sure. But that, yeah, that was the one where, yeah, that was just an unfortunate sequence. That whole thing, that red zone sequence, ew. We've kind of gone through that. So, uh, on the defensive side, again, they only gave up. They gave up twenty-four points. But obviously, as we know, the one off the interception is just like it's hard to pin it on them when they're, when you know, it's the 13 yard line. Yeah. Um, yep. So I thought that, you know, keeping them to 24 points is is acceptable. You know, yeah, if the rate if the offense does its thing, that's totally enough to win the game. Um, and then you can maybe even take seven off of that to go to 17 and say that's really what the defense gave up. And looking at Saquon Barkley's numbers, I mean, this is the second uh, highest rusher in the league heading into this game. He was number one in scrimmage yards. He's their Lamar Jackson, right? He's the one that stirs the drink. The Ravens defense, and we were wondering this because the Ravens defense, rushing defense, hasn't been stellar. But we also were like, well, but that's also that they haven't really focused on it. They've been okay with giving up the run like with Mixon because they wanted to stop the pass. So now that they were focused on it, I thought they did well. Saquon Barkley only ended with 3.8 yards per carry, 83 total on 22 attempts. I mean, 3.8, all the Ravens, yeah, Drake and, and Lamar Jackson blew that out of the water. J.K. Dobbins was just under it, and he was injured. So I thought the Ravens did a really good job. Saquon did get better as the game went on, which is usually the case when you you are – a run first team, but I thought the rushing defense gave us something to be happy about. I would agree that interior defensive line definitely deserves some praise after this one. And I would have to think that I'd like to see a breakdown of this. Uh, maybe when we get more into the statistics over the next 24 hours or so, but of those 83 yards, how many came in the last few drives for the giants? Because he had some chunk plays. You started to think to yourself, Oh, here we go. You know, Saquon's starting to figure it out. They played him really well through three quarters plus, Sarah. And like, 
you just started to see things open up a little bit in that fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, the Giants were were wheeling. And, and hey, you know, one of the other if, – if Barkley was public enemy number one, according to John Harbaugh entering the week, then Daniel Jones and his mobility was number mm-hmm. two on that public enemy list. He was held to well, just six yards. So they, they took care of the edge nicely. And I thought, again, just up and down the defensive line, whether it was Calais Campbell, who started his 200th career NFL game. He also registered a sack. He's closing in on that 100 number for his career. He was impactful. Justin Matabike w- had a big presence there. So, yeah, I, I, I think they deserve some credit here. Well, Bobby, maybe this is the time <laughs> where... We let people know why we didn't have a preview episode this week. <laughs> and maybe, Bobby, oh, this was the sign. This was the sign of a bad weekend to come. We had talked at length about Barkley and Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones being not so much a threat with his arm, but a threat with his legs. Because I think going into this, he was like ranked number three or four. I can't remember now, either three or four with the percentage of rushing attempts that a quarterback is head of their team. Lamar was number one. And, um, and yet Jones was like number four, which you just don't think of. So anyway, we talked about this at length. We had on an awesome guest, Jordan. Why am I forgetting his last name? Jordan Renan. Jordan Renan. Possibly. Uh, listen, all of our guests are good, but he was really good. He was animated, gave great stories, great stories on Jason Pierre-Paul. We got it all. Listen, in the end, we had terrible, terrible technical difficulties, which we just won't get into. And uh, we we had a ditch. We had a ditch the entire preview. <laughs> so that was brutal. And Bobby, we put a lot of time yeah. into those previews. We got to track down sound. We're studying the other team. We're getting guests. We're interviewing them. Then we're giving our own... Like, it's a lot of work. We probably wasted, it was probably like a good three hours that went down the tube. Would you say that's true? I mean, that between the gutting. preview. That was, yeah. Oh, that, that was gutting. I mean, between like studying the other team and the interviews and all that, it was just, oh, that that right there let us know it was going to be not the best weekend, Bobby. That was it. We should have known then that this was going to be a disaster. Sarah, that was as gutting as it probably was for, Julian Love dealing with Lamar in space today in the third quarter when he put on that absolute <laughs> juke and just made him look silly. Like that was brutal. But yeah, we really appreciate Jordan's time. Like he's he was rock solid. He's got great, great uh, commentary and, and a great feel for the Giants organization. And right now, I'm sure he's enjoying himself because for the first time in many years, right, like the Giants are looking good through now. Look, are they their record? Uh, probably not, but the more we keep saying that, the more they keep taking exception to it and having something to say about that. So got to give credit where credit is due. And we haven't even mentioned Wink Martindale, Sarah, the reuniting that we talked about all week long. His defense came up big. 20 points is going to win you a lot of games. Well, hey, listen, Wink came out on the better end of this. He did. This is one of those, like the Joe Flacco. You know that Joe Flacco want to beat his former team. He couldn't do it. Of course, Wink Martindale wants to beat his former team. There's obviously, it was very clear there was no hard feelings on both sides uh, based off of what everybody said at podium. And John Harbaugh and Wink Martindale, uh, you know, you know, exchanged hugs and talks at the beginning of the game. They both call each other family, brothers, all that kind of stuff. But you want to beat, you want to beat your brother. Listen, 
I just arm wrestled. This is random. I just arm wrestled my two boys and boy, did I have fun when I beat them, you know, <laughs> like it's just yeah. fun to beat your family, you know? So a grand, they're like 13 and 11, but still, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty happy. Enjoy it while you this. can, Sarah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got maybe one more year on my 13 year old. I think by the time he's 14, I might be in trouble. <laughs> so we got those right. puberty years coming in. So, um, so yeah, you know, and you know what? It and it was the Giants' defense that won the game. It wasn't their offense. So you got to give you got to give credit where credit is due. I mean, Wink and and his team, they they finished. They closed out, and it's what the Ravens' defense didn't do this this time around, and they haven't been doing as much this year. And they didn't really do it much last year. Granted, there were lots of injuries, but hey, you got to give kudos to Wink and. Bobby, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I saw lots of tweets being like, you know, we moved on from Wink for for McDonald and, you know, was that the right choice? And, um, you know, it's not feeling that way right now. I still want to give McDonald some more time, but certainly after today, it's not feeling that way. And I'm not happy about the loss, but I got to give it up to Wink. Yeah, we can reevaluate those big, big, big picture questions after the you know, a 17 game sample size. And maybe that's even too early, right? Like those stories can't be written sometimes for, for years and years. So that'll be something to monitor. Hey, Bobby, let, we got to close this thing up, but I do want to mention a tweet that Marlon Humphrey just put out. We already spoke about him and his press conference. And this is what he tweeted. He said, insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Albert Einstein. Wow. Wow. Oh man. I, I mean, <laughs> we just recorded this entire <laughs> podcast and he tweets that now. Right? Yeah. What, what do you think? What are you thinking? What's your wows about? Well, I'm, I, I guess what's crazy about it is that it opens up a number of different areas for interpretation. That's for sure. Um, yeah. but so, something tells me that ah, who knows, do you have any, I don't know. I'm, I'm still processing it. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is, um, what is he, uh, and this is what they're going to have to ask. What is it that he wants to change so that the results change? Doing the same thing over yeah. and over again and expecting different results. So that to me is saying that he wants something to change. Now, does that mean he wants to approach games differently? Is he saying, I want coaches to change things up? Or is he yeah. saying we keep we keep melting down in the fourth quarter and it's on us players? Uh, like, I, I don't know what he's saying. Because to me, while it's true that the Ravens keep losing in the fourth quarter, they've done it in different ways. It hasn't always been on Lamar. Today, we're putting it mostly on Lamar. And a little bit of Greg Roman there. We've talked about that quite a bit. So, and in and in the past, like against against the Dolphins, that was just a defensive meltdown for sure. So um, this is something that we're going to have to follow up on because I, I, that begs the question. It seems to me that he wants something to change and it hasn't changed. So what is it that he wants to change other than just winning? Because that's obvious. Is there something specific he's referring to? That's the question. Okay, I've processed it now. He's on okay. the Amtrak, <laughs> right? He's on the Amtrak. Yep. He's on his way back yep. from the game. Yep. He's got his headphones on. He's probably listening to Marvin's Room by Drake. And he's getting okay. a little emotional. He's reflecting. 
It's reflecting on what took place over the course of this afternoon and thinking to himself in an emotional moment that some sort of change is needed. I'm not going to read into it any more than that. I think this is an emotional yep. tweet. I think this is a, frustra a frustration boiling over. We all mm -hmm. know that he uses Twitter as an outlet, sometimes to the expense of himself. Um, and uh, that I, I think that's where I'm at with this. So we'll see if any uh, other That's probably, that's a good takeaway. That, that's a good takeaway. For yeah. now, we're going we're gonna to chalk it up to an emotional tweet because we know a lot of people are emotional right now after this loss and, and the way that they're losing. It's not that they're losing, but the way that they're losing. So we'll chalk it up to an emotional tweet, but know that needs, there needs to be follow-up questions to see if there's something more specific. And I know that I said we were going to close up, but there is one other thing we have not addressed and we have to. Morgan Moses. We saw him get carted yeah. off the field. It looked like, I mean, I looked over to my husband and I was like, oh man, this could be a season ender. Because anytime somebody's carted off, that's that's what you think. Um but he came back onto the field. He was in uniform, and it looked like he could go. Um, John Harbaugh just said that he decided to keep it with McCarry at the right side and a rotation of um, Ronnie Stanley and uh, Daniel Falele on the left side. He said he wanted to play it safe, give him a little bit more time to recover, no reason to put him back out there. And those are the decisions. You, I think that was a good decision, and those are the decisions you can make when you actually have depth. We actually have depth, and this is with them already losing Juwan James. So it's nice to have depth. It's good to see that Morgan Moses was good. To, was looked like he was able to go back in the game, and Lamar or and John Harbaugh just decided to to play it safe. So uh, glad to know the big the big fella is okay. And for the fifteen hundredth time, let's give Patrick McCarry his due because this guy literally does whatever's asked of him whenever. Something is asked of him, and I know we uh, we both feel the same way uh, in the McCary party. It's really unreal. It, it's just unreal. Uh, to be like left tackle, left tackle, left tackle, been totally on left tackle for the last several weeks. Oh, you need me to switch to right tackle? Cool. Right tackle, right, like, got you. Got you. And oh, by the way, if you need a center or a left guard or a right guard, like, I could get you there too. It is unreal, and it just shows you why the Ravens paid him this offseason. Well-deserved money right there. Worth every penny, and somehow his value continues to skyrocket week by week given the Ravens' issues over the last year or so since he signed that, that contract. And with that, let's shut it down here on this instant reaction episode on the Ravens Vault. As always, if you haven't already and you've been enjoying our content, please consider following the show. Leave us a, a review and a rating if you feel so inclined. And uh, we've been talking about it often, but we just hit our goal, one of our first early goals on YouTube. The Ravens Vault podcast is now exclusively, not exclusively, but it is on YouTube. We hit our 1,000 subscriber mark. We thank each and every one of you who have clicked that subscribe button and if you haven't already and you've been enjoying our content please consider doing so and it helps us out as we continue to grow our podcast so for my co-host and partner sarah ellison i'm bobby trossett signing off from this week six matchup between the ravens and giants baltimore falls to new york by a final score of 24 to 20 and now sits three and three still at the top of the afc north but a lot of work to do and boy, this story has not even been close to being fully written at this point in the season. Cleveland Browns coming up in week seven. We'll talk to you this week. Thanks again for the support. Bye.